Tonight they're talking about the chest and breast area of your body. And yes, the breasts in question don't just mean the female kind. Yeah, so cat. <clears throat> now we know that uh, animals that have breasts or mammary glands is essentially mammals. So mammals are vertebrates, so they have a, a spinal cord. Now mammals are essentially separ separated from birds and fish, reptiles, because they have uh, a new type of brain, but we also have, well, they also have mammary glands. So firstly, how many different species of mammals do, there, do you think there are in the world? Ah, in the world, mammals. Ball, ballpark. 50. 5,000. No! Oh. So what is the magnitude of? So, well, five and a half thousand. So of this five and a half thousand, you know, they can be broken into, say, rodents, bats, marsupials, um, carnivores, marine life, or whales, etc. And then we have primates, where kind of where humans fit into it. Now, so out of all these species, it's only the humans that have in the breast, female breast, that stays enlarged through the whole menstrual cycle. So my question to you, why do you think it's only humans out of those five and a half thousand species that the female breast in the woman stays enlarged? During the menstrual cycle? Yeah, for the whole cycle. Not just when, when they ovulate, because most other mammals, they'll get big just as they ovulate, become fertile. Why do you think female humans stays big the whole cycle? To appeal to the males? Is it a mating thing? Well, you might be on some, to something there, but we'll answer that a bit later. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll hold you in suspense. Ooh, I like a bit of suspense. <laughs> and we'll let the, the listeners maybe you come know. up with a uh, theory, maybe. Yeah, send a text if you're smarter than me. That's a dangerous thing to say. Zero-four-six-seven. <laughs> <laughs> I have a drama degree. I'm sensing it's most of you. Zero four six seven nine double two six twelve. I got good marks, but it's a drama degree. I would love to ask you a question, if I may. Go for it. What is the breast and its basic anatomy? Sure. Okay, so the breast is a mammary gland, like Matt was saying before, makes us mammals. And it is there, if we look at the female breast, as a means to produce and deliver milk to our infants. So if you look at the anatomy of the breast, basically two breasts, each individual, made up predominantly of fatty tissue with some ducts within that fatty tissue. So these are like channels. And on one end of those channels, we've got these little lobes that produce the milk uh, and hold the milk. And there's about 15 to 25 of these lobes per breast. And they're attached to those ducts. And then all of those ducts come together at the nipple, where obviously the milk will be ejected. Now, the development of the breast throughout a lifetime happens due to a number of reasons, genetic reasons, but also uh, very prominently due to hormone levels. So hormones such as progesterone and estrogen and growth hormone and thyroid hormone and prolactin and oxytocin, they all play a role at some point when it comes to breast development, milk production and milk ejection. So is it that I ate a lot of chicken when I was young that's given me these double Ds? I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think so. And when it comes to breast size, the breast size has to do with fatty tissue, not the gland uh, tissue inside. So, so breast size will not determine more adipose tissue. Milk size, uh, milk production. No, I am aware of. I'm very much aware of that. Yeah. I hadn't been aware of that until I had a child and yes. thought that I would be a veritable factory. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that was not the case. Yeah. A lot of the fat will disappear when you start to produce the milk, and it will become very much more ductal and glandular. Why is it not then a direct 
uh, correlation because there are some women who are quite tiny mm. but have more breast tissue, and so it's not necessarily a direct correlation to your body size. Do we know why that is, or just dumb luck or an accident? Yeah, good question. So, essentially, my best understanding is the ductal system is probably similar between, I mean, all females once they, they re re reach puberty, but mm. it's just essentially the adipose tissue that's going to be greater in some females, and also the ligamental structure, which will give more the shape of the breast. So, fat is more the size, ligaments will give more of the shape. And the, the ligaments is, is essentially what changes as we age, um, just like our skin, that becomes saggy and... How I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> very dare you. And when it comes to the fat deposition, I mean, that has to do with a number of different factors. Genetic factors are one factor, but also hormonal factors too play a role where fat gets deposited. So if the fat gets deposited on the bum or the breast or the waist, is determined in part by hormones. And it's the same for men, I would imagine. Yep. Okay. How did the breast evolve and how does it differ from other animals? Okay, so we spoke about mammals, so that they are in the vertebrate um, category, um, so they have a, a spinal column. Now, it's thought that the breast came out of a sweat gland, so essentially a modified sweat gland um, was the, th the thinking, the theory from where the, the breast first came about. Now, probably it was maybe an egg-laying bird, that um, started to produce a type of milk out of the sweat gland, which the, the new hatchling kind of would suckle on. And the, the, the idea or the thought behind it was it would provide an immune um, support. So it would give the baby or the hatchling an advantage over not getting an infection. And if it was to get sick, the mother would provide um, antibodies and so forth that would be beneficial for that little baby. Now, the best, the closest that we've got now for that kind of linking ancestor between um, vertebrates into mammals is the monotremes. So, they're the, an egg-laying mammal, like an echidna, like a platypus, that would probably have a gestation age of a couple of weeks. So, they're only in the egg for a couple of weeks. Then they hatch, they'd migrate up to a pouch where it's not a mammary, mammary gland, it's just a, a patch of skin almost. And it kind of just latches onto there for about two months and it will start to grow and grow and the actual teat grows with the the animal and so then it'll become a full-sized um, platypus or echidna and then so forth now these glands then probably as a secondary function is a nutrition source so the first the first main function was for immune and then secondary came the nutrition. And so I guess that was selected for in evolution to be a positive thing for the developing baby to have this nutrition source on tap. But in, in terms of the embryo developing, we have this kind of ridge that runs from our armpit all the way down to our groin. And that's where the, essentially the, the nipples will form. And so, if we in humans were, have, were to have a, an accessory nipple, it would be in that line. And some people do. Mm. Some people do. So, it will be generally probably below our nipple in that kind of line going down to the groin. And so, all other animals or all other mammals will form along that line. And so, some, they usually correlate strongly to the amount of offspring that will be born in that. So, it usually has a pair for each offspring. So, for humans, we have a pair. We generally will have one um, newborn. But when you compare it to, say, rats, they might have 27. Or pigs have quite a few as well. But then it will be clustered in different parts. So, 
Primates, humans are theirs in the chest. Ungulates, which is more like cows or horses, are down in the groin. And then like rodents and pigs are scattered all the way down that line. I've never felt sympathy for a rat before. <laughs> My heart just went out to them. Yeah. And then if we compare the, the actual consistency of the milk, human milk's only about 3.8% fat. A blue whale is about 38%. And it holds, so a mother would hold about a quarter of a tonne of milk. And it doesn't, it doesn't want to have these big boobs hanging out while it's swimming along because it'd be a bit of drag. There would be. So they have, <laughs> they have something called a retractable nipple. And it would be probably the size of Michael. Oh. So about oh, five foot high. 100 kilos. <laughs> oh, oh. And, um, yeah, that, so that, that would be doing... Shade is being cast. <laughs> so that would be the way that the oh. whales feed. You're not the first person who's called me the retractable nipple. <laughs> it's a horrible it's like nickname. A, a it's a horrible name. nickname. It's a band name. <laughs> but the, the, the last them. point I will say, is the most interesting one, is the seal. It will only breastfeed for four days. And its milk is 61% fat, which is like liquid butter. And so it Jeez. actually puts on... 45,000 calories per day because of that milk. I so it really needs to put on a lot of weight quickly <laughs> and then it takes off. My name is Kat Davidson. Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike are my guests and we're talking about the chest and breast area. And I'm aware that some of you might be uncomfortable hearing about this. 1300 222 612 is the number, but they are just a part of the body and we are speaking mm, of right. them in their anatomical sense. Why do you think we are so un uncomfortable? Is it because they're a sexualized thing, gents? Yeah, I think because it's a, a secondary sexual characteristic. And so it is sexualized. Um, and yeah, I think people do get uncomfortable. And that becomes a taboo topic, I suppose. Which is dangerous because if you don't yes. talk about breast health, mm, mm. Um, that's, that can be quite a killer. Absolutely. I mean, breast cancer is the most common cause of cancer for women and the second biggest uh, cancer that will kill women. Uh, in Australia, one in eight women will have some uh, breast cancer at some point in their life. And so checks and screening, such as those manual checks, are really important. What about men? What about the men, men? What about the men? So breast cancer can occur in men. About 1% of the uh, incidence of that of women. So very rare. Very rare. But, I mean, it, it's interesting. I was actually reading some articles earlier because if you look at... Uh, some of the risk factors for breast cancer, a lot of it has to do with the hormones, so estrogen, progesterone, and so forth. So these are predominantly seen as hormones within women. And I was thinking, well, what about those undergoing uh, some sort of male to female transition? So tr oh. somebody who's transgender, because they'll be taking hormone supplements. So I looked within the literature, and there's nothing per se to well, say, recent, suggest, but there is... Uh, evidence to suggest that uh, that sort of hormone replacement uh, would increase the likelihood of somebody to develop uh, breast cancer. And so there may be a population of people from male to female um, who are not getting their regular checks when they probably should. That's interesting because they wouldn't occur to them. That's right. Not having been raised to think about it. Exactly. It's 18 past eight here at ABC Radio Brisbane and Queensland. Kat Davison speaking with doctors Matt and Mike. They have their own podcast, which is very trickily called Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical <laughs> Podcast. I do love that. 
Same as I love the re- the fact that the first hour of the show is called What Do You Reckon? <laughs> just makes me happy. Let's talk about breast milk. Yes. How does it form? And this is a trickier question than it sounds. What is the importance of breastfeeding? Okay, so if we have a look, so I think the first thing to get across is that Matt and I are two males who have never breastfed in our lives. Mm-hmm. Speak for yourself. <laughs> well, never successfully <laughs> breastfed in our lives. I That's a different show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so when I talk about, so all this is just the evidence-based literature that I'm going to be talking from. And when I talk about breastfeeding and the benefits of breastfeeding, none of this is to shame or isolate individuals who don't. We'll talk about the issues associated with breastfeeding as well in a sec. But when it comes to breast milk production and then breast milk letdown, so the release of breast milk, uh, basically two main hormones are coming into play here. So when it comes for milk production, there's a hormone that our brain produces called prolactin. So prolactin just means for lactation. So that's what it's there for. And it starts to produce the milk. And then when it's time for the baby to get the milk, the baby will start to suckle on the breast, on the nipple specifically. And that tactile response sends a signal to the brain and it releases another hormone called oxytocin. And what oxytocin does is it tells those uh, ducts and lobules in the breast that have the milk, it squeezes them and squirts the milk out. So prolactin produces the milk, oxytocin squeezes the ducts and squirts that milk out. Yes, it should. It should. <laughs> it should. But is is it was it just me or is there always a lag? My understanding when my baby was born and she was ten pounds seven, mm. so lady thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my milk didn't come in um, for over twenty four hours. Yeah, and it was awful. She was starving. I couldn't feed her. I didn't want to put her on formula. Is that a failure of my body or is that a standard operating procedure that it takes time for milk to come in? 24 to 48 hours is the amount of time. Yes. And so the the reason why is this, because your body has uh, progesterone at high high levels when bub is inside of you. Placenta. And Mm. yes, and then when bub's out and the placenta's out, your progesterone levels start to drop. And as the progesterone levels start to drop, your prolactin levels start to increase. So it's this inverse relationship. And so what your body's waiting for is that prolactin level to get to the point in which the milk's ready and then the oxytocin can release and then squirt that milk out. So yeah, that's what's I, but, but again, it's different. What, it's so it's it different feels like nature's cruel joke that you're you're born this beautiful mewling thirsty thing comes out and you can't feed them immediately. I know, but sort it, God but, or whoever made bubs us. Can, bubs can go a, a newborn bubs can go a good amount of time without being fed. I mean, they've got that brown fat on them, which we don't necessarily have too much of. That brown fat's a very metabolically active fat, so it keeps them warm. Nutrition, it's all there. So it's, it's not a huge issue. But um, obviously people have various issues with being able to breastfeed itself. So when we look at breastfeeding, so while breastfeeding may be natural, it's not simple. And when you look at the breast milk, it has so many things in it that are great for bubs. So it's got antibodies there for immunity. Uh, it's got other uh, immune-based factors in there to help protect bub. It's got the proteins, it's got the fats, it's got the carbohydrates in there, so all the macronutrients there. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so it's there to help bub. Uh, and the studies also show that uh, babies who are exclusively, exclusively fed on breast milk, their incidence for infectious mortality and morbidity drastically reduces. Uh, and if you look at the statistics, I think for low to middle income families will 
breastfeed about 37% of children under the age of six months are exclusively breastfed from low to middle income families. And this number is even lower for higher income families. And so it's, there's a lot of protective benefit to being able to breastfeed. And not just for bub either. So for mum, huge amount of benefit. So it re reduces the risk of breast cancer, reduces the risk of ovarian cancer as well, and potentially reduces the risks of type 2 diabetes and also increases the time between bub, so baby spacing, um, which can be important. If, if I was reading a stat just before saying that you'd expect in Uganda a 50% increase in the amount of babies that would be born if the mothers weren't breastfeeding. Oh, 50% increase in the amount of babies being born. Well, apart from anything else, it's a lovely physical barrier. That's right. Around one's good self. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there is some more good news coming out of Thailand. An 11th oh. person has been brought out of the flooded cave in oh, that's Thailand. Brilliant. The ABC News is reporting it, so you know what is the case. It's 24 <laughs> past eight. We'll keep all that news coming. I'm, it's such a pleasure to be able to, to bring good news. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? After them being in the caves uh, down there for so long. Let's talk about men, if we may. Um, you can't breastfeed. No. Um, your breasts have, as far as I'm aware, and you may be about to correct me, but no actual purpose apart from them, look, frankly, looking smashing. Um, <laughs> so why do you have nipples? What's with the boys and the boobs? All right. So go, we'll, we'll go into the embryo. So when we were little, little things uh, inside our mother's uterus. So let's say pre-four weeks, males were females. So did you know that? We were actually girls at one point. I'm trying. I'm, I'm just being a good girl. Okay, so and, and, um, and not saying that you started well and went downhill from there. I wouldn't do that. I'd agree. <laughs> I would absolutely agree. So, um, genetically, the difference between the female and male at that point is just the XY chromosome or the XX chromosome. Now, being a feet or an embryo at that point in time, pre four weeks, um, we, we're flooded with the with our mother's um, hormones from her. Um, blood that goes through the placenta into the into the embryo, and so by default the baby will become a female. However, so before four weeks the breast tissue is starting to develop, and that would mean the that milk line. So the skin would start to fold in and produce uh, a certain type of ectoderm, which would be probably a precursor to the nipple, and that would be um, partly developed before our sex determination is. Well, sexual is determined. Um, so that's before four weeks. However, however, when we are um, now born, the the breast between the female and the male is essentially the same. So there's not a great deal of difference. So the only thing that really changes um, is once puberty we reach puberty, as Michael said, the big the big plays is estrogen. So estrogen starts to develop that the ductal system. So to make it more expansive, and the prolactin will form milk and that's coming from essentially the hypothalamus and pituitary gland however in males males there are accounts where say if there's a tumor in the pituitary gland males can lactate or some antipsychotic medications some uh, heart medications can induce prolactin release and even uh, in some starvation states so um, could it feed a baby no, there wouldn't be that amount, but um, they found some survivors in the uh, prison of a war camps in um, Nazi Germany or the Japanese camps, the males, because their liver was so dysfunctional, 
because they were in a starvation state, and their endocrine organs were kind of out of whack. That they would start to produce probably prolactin, which would cause oh them to lactate. My best knowledge is there's one mammal that does one male mammal that does lactate, and that's a fruit bat. But that's apparently due to its diet, it's a, a certain foliage that is high in estrogen or estrogen-like um, molecules, which causes that to develop the the breast more so. Nature is crazy. But if you listen, Dr. Carr will say uh, a good function of the male breast is um, a water depth indicator. So if you're <laughs> walking into the beach, it's cold, it sticks out, that and it'll is. tell you how deep it is. <laughs> now, you left me on a cliffhanger a little bit earlier on, gentlemen. Are you, are you going to release the tension? Yeah, so basically the difference, if you look at how long it takes to get the baby, a human baby, to autonomy, to it, it's a long investment. You compare it to, say, a whale, it's done within a couple of years. It can live up to 100 years old on, from two years onwards. Elephants can live to 70 years. They only need to be nursed for a couple of years. Whereas humans, 10, 12, 30. 15, yeah, 30, case, years, 30 years. 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Move out of home already. You're a doctor. <laughs> so the thought is um, essentially, uh, in in some animals, if the um, if the male, the fe- well, particularly the male, if the ma- if the male was aware that the female was coming onto ovulation, he is more likely to go and mate with her. And so, if that was to occur in the now, this is a theory; it hasn't been proven. <laughs> um, so, in the female, if the males become aware that the female is now on um, ovulating, there would be a high chance of uh, coercive sex or even rape. And that would then mean that the female is now on her own to bring up a child for 20 years on her own. So that's not a high likelihood that, that the animal or that baby would survive. So then by having a breast that's enlarged from puberty onwards, the male doesn't really know when she's ovulating. So they're more likely to pair bond, like you said, and then the, the likelihood of that animal or the babies to survive is much higher. And so that's the theory behind it. Wow. Theory. Yeah. Good work, Nature, if that is indeed what's going on. Yeah. It's 29 past eight. Is there finally anything that we need to know? When we think about the health of the breast, we usually do think breast cancer mm. or mastitis. I've had that. It's a living hell. Yeah. Um, are there any other things that, that can go wrong that, that we should know about? I think the main thing to finish up on is regular breast checks, uh, especially those over 50. Uh, when it comes to breast cancer, there are a number of significant risk factors. So obviously being female is one of them. Uh, age is another. Uh, diet, exercise are obviously others. But also there is a strong genetic link too. Mm. And I'm sure we've all heard of genes called BRCA1 and BRCA2. And mutations in with the, within these genes can actually increase somebody's likelihood of getting breast cancer. Mm. Up to 85%. So, a lifetime risk of getting it to up to 85%. That so, was Angelia Dolly. Yeah, so this yeah. is the reason why she had a prophylactic mastectomy, so the removal of her breasts um, because of the presence of mutations within these genes. So, But, again, this is something that if somebody wants the screening to... Uh, under t- be to occur, go see your GP, have a discussion, and there are people that you can talk about, you know, the risks and what measures can be taken. And if you're worried, you can make an appointment with Breast Screen Queensland. Absolutely. Under the age of 50. I'm yeah. 41. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I, it was, I just, a few of my friends have had cancer. Um, there's a little bit in my family, and I'm kind of a nervous Nelly. Sure. Um, and I just thought, well, 
I can do it, and I did. That's right. Um, can't say it was fun, but it also wasn't awful. Yeah. Um, and I, they have two doctors check it, um, and they send you an email or a letter, I think it was an email, um, that says you're clear or you're yeah. not. Um, and it was such a huge relief. relief. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't really think I had it, but now I know I don't. And it's you know so that's there too, and that yeah. was a, that was a free service. And when you do the scan, it's something to to ask for is the density of your breast because the higher densities, so it kind of a relationship between fat and the fibrous fibrous tissue, which is kind of the supportive tissue, and so it's been shown that breasts are more that are more dense have a higher risk of cancer as well. Right. So if you you can ask for that in your scan is the okay. density of the breast, and they can give you that readout. And so if you are at a higher end, you might then look at some further other. Um, risk factors and things to, to look out for. Ted Hawkins in Caboolture, hello Ted, has said, cat and doctors, the frequency of male breast cancer, the last statistics I heard was approximately 3%, not one. One of my old army mates had both his breasts removed. By the way, my wife, an RN, is a breast cancer survivor, me, a kidney cancer one. So my stat is, I'm not sure what this gentleman's referring to, but 1% of the female statistic. So, of all the women that get breast cancer, statistically, 1% of those would be the equivalent for male. Okay. Yeah. So, that may end up equaling 3%, yeah. Yeah. Well, and we can, I think we can categorically state that it's much lower in men, but it does mm. happen. Def it definitely happens. So, if yeah. male or female, you feel something that you probably think should not be there, go get it checked out. Yeah. So, physical tests uh, checks, lumps, changes in skin, so if it becomes dimple, um, different coloration or any discharge from the nipple these are signs that you definitely should get checked quickly doctors thank you thank Thanks. you